It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. This month's sponsor of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent, integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit this month's sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. Today, we'll take a look at the legal requirements for a board of directors around compliance. And our starting point is the state of Delaware for corporate law guidance. The first case to hold that a board had an obligation around compliance was the Caremark decision in 1996. In that case, it said a board's obligation includes a duty to attempt in good faith to assure that a corporate that corporate information and reporting system, which the board con- concludes is adequate, exists, and the failure to do so under some circumstances may render a director liable for losses caused by noncompliance. The Caremark case addressed the board's duty to oversee corporations' legal compliance efforts. As part of its duty to monitor, the board must make good faith efforts to ensure that a corporation has adequate reporting and information systems. The opinion described this claim as possibly the most difficult theory in corporate law upon which a plaintiff might hope to win, with liability attaching only for sustained or systemic failure to exercise oversight or another failure to attempt to ensure a reporting information system. The next case the board looked at was Stone v. Ritter in 2006. And in this case, the court held that the Caremark standard is the appropriate standard for director's duties with respect to, with respect to corporate compliance issues. The court found that there is no duty of good faith that forms a basis, independent duties of care and loyalty for director liability. Rather, the court held that the question of director liability turns on whether there is a sustained or systemic failure of the board to exercise oversight, such as a failure to attempt to assure a reasonable information and reporting system exists. Two commentators noted that the standard aims to protect shareholders by ensuring that corporations will adopt reasonable programs to detect, deter, and address violations of law and corporate policy while absolving the board from liability for corporate conduct so long that it has exercised responsibility with respect to the adoption maintenance of a, of a compliance and reporting system. Although the standard protects the board consistent with most uh, jurisdictions under the business judgment rule, it also follows that the board must follow through to address problems of which it has notice, and this may include modifications to 
existing compliance programs. Of course, this brings us to the business judgment rule. In the business judgment rule, it uh, takes a look at under what circumstances board members might be directly held liable for losses. Even disinterested, well-intentioned, and informed directors can make decisions that in hindsight were not correct or even negligent. Recognizing that businesses' decisions frequently entail risk and uncertainties, many courts have sought a means of encouraging directors to enter into transactions that, although risky, have a potential for, for profit. This means that a director's liabilities are determined using, using if a director's liabilities were determined using traditional fiduciary principles, a court would be substituting its judgment for that of the director's, which is not intended or the appropriate way uh, to do so under the business judgment rule. Courts have recognized that in an uncertain inter environment of business, boards need to be free to take risks <clears throat> without the fear of being sued for their business decisions. While corporate directors are expected to use their business judgment to advance the interests of corporations, they are not expected to ensure corporate success. Under the business judgment rule, courts will presume that disinterested directors making business decisions acted on an informed basis in good faith and with the honest belief that the action taken was in the best interest of the corporation. In lawsuits, <clears throat> against directors brought by shareholders, either for themselves or derivatively, courts apply the business judgment rule and it will determine uh, whether the directors made the decision were free from conflicts of interest, appropriately informed themselves before taking the action, and acted with due consideration of all relevant information that was reasonably available. Under the business judgment rule, the board's actions will not subject board members to liability if the actions or decisions of the director can be attributed to a rational, rational business purpose. Directors that meet this criteria do not have to worry about their business decisions being second-guessed by a court, even where the decisions result in corporate losses. Now let's turn to the obligations under the FCPA guidance and the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines. Under the FCPA guidance, a director's duties are pretty well known, and they're laid out in the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. In hallmark number one, entitled Commitment from Senior Management and a Clearly Articulated Policy Against Corruption, it states, within a business organization, compliance begins with the board of directors and senior executives setting the proper tone for the company. Under hallmark number three, entitled Oversight, Autonomy, and Resources, it discusses that a chief compliance officer should have direct access to an organization's governing authority, such as the board of directors or an appropriate committee thereof. The DOJ prosecution standard, as set forth in the sentencing guidelines, poses the following questions. Do directors exercise an independent review of a company's compliance program? And number two, are directors provide provided information sufficient to enable the exercise of this independent judgment. Now, failures can lead to serious consequences. Uh, if a board has not followed these guidelines under the business judgment rule, 
under the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program, and even under the sentencing guidelines, uh, there can be personal dire- uh, personal liability for directors. And both the SEC and Department of Justice have been very vocal about their interest in identifying high-level individuals within an organization who are responsible for the tone, culture, or weak internal controls that may contribute to or at least fail to prevent bribery and corruption. We've certainly had uh, actions against senior executives around this issue. The other issue regarding the board and risk management uh, is that the SEC desires boards to take a more active role in overseeing the management of risk, and this is all types of risk, within an organization. The SEC has promulgated SK-407, under which each company must make a disclosure regarding the board's role in risk oversight, which may enable investors to better evaluate whether the board is exercising appropriate oversight of risk. If this disclosure is not made, it could be a securities law violation and subject to and subject the company to fines, penalties, or profit disgorgement. From the Delaware cases, I believe that the board must not only have a corporate compliance program in place, but it must actively oversee that function. Further, if a company's business plan includes a high-risk proposition, there should be additional oversight. In other words, there is an affirmative duty for the board to ask tough questions. The specific obligations set out in the FCPA drive home the legal obligations that the Delaware State Court has articulated in both the Caremark and Stone B. Ritter case. So what are your three key takeaways here? Well, takeaway number one is the continuum from Caremark through Stone v. Ritter, it is that companies must exercise oversight of a compliance program. Number two, under the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program, there must be an appropriate level of board oversight and board involvement, but there must be more. There must the board must be part of setting the tone with compliance. And number three, do the board of directors actually receive enough information to exercise independent review and are they provided that information? If you don't have those three components, the board of directors is setting itself up for a successful shareholder derivative action. Thank you for listening to this episode of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program, where in the month of August, we're going to take a look at the role of the Board of Directors in a Best Practices Compliance Program. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, for sponsoring this month's series. This production of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join me again tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.